It looked kind of weird, but like, I don't know what I'm reading. (laughs) The Pittsburgh season comes to an end and Penguins management all dismissed. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by GMC and the Sierra AT4X. Elliot, the Pittsburgh Penguins announcing this morning they have relieved President of Hockey Operations Brian Burke, General Manager Ron Hextall, and Assistant General Manager Chris Pryor of their duties. We suspected, and we've been talking about it all week, that when Fenway makes up their mind, we won't have to wait very long to find out what their decision is. And this is their decision. I don't think anybody is hugely surprised by this, Jeff. Uh, I can't imagine anyone sitting here today saying, we didn't expect this to happen. You knew that uh, the way things were going, Pittsburgh missing the playoffs, that there were going to be consequences. Uh, you could see in the market there was a crisis of consumer confidence. The writing was on the wall. And earlier this season, I had a conversation with someone in Boston media, and, and he preferred not to have his name used, so I won't use it. Just about what Fenway is like. How do they operate? What to expect from them? Every company has tendencies, right? Mm-hmm. And and this person said to me that one thing about Fenway is they work quick. If they're making changes, they don't let it drag out. They said that some of the people who've been fired by Fenway actually like that about them. Like it's not a long walk. Right. It is quick. The other thing that they said about Fenway is that you generally know of chains coming because the winds start blowing a certain way. You know, like, for example, Fenway, you know, runs the Boston Globe and they're good at getting their message out. And so in the last few weeks, as you know, things started happening around the trade deadline and stories started getting out about disputes, maybe between the coaching staff and the front office. This person said it was an absolute red flag to them that change was coming. Hmm. You know, look, like in this league, especially with that team, the expectations that are around them after the moves they made last summer to keep the core together. I don't think anybody is surprised that there were these kinds of consequences. I think the only thing that really anyone was wondering is, well, the organization really loves Mike Sullivan, gave him an extension, think hugely of him, and they just kind of wondered if the way the team finished, that might change, but obviously it hasn't. You know, we know that uh, Fenway Sports uh, acts quickly, so there have been dismissals on Friday. The other thing that is of prime importance now is, Who goes into these spots? Like, it's one thing to react quickly. Season's over. Penguins lose to the Columbus Blue Jackets. The very next day, we get these dismissals. How quickly do they act to fill these positions now? Number one, I do think they've already started putting together a list. I think they've started looking at some names out there and people they could be interested in. I think that's going to be one of the first questions. Are we talking search firm or are they going to go with a list that they have compiled? I think there's going to be some talk about people with Pittsburgh connections. Hmm. Uh, you know, we talk elsewhere in this podcast or we're going to about how I think Ray Shiro is on Philadelphia's radar, but I wonder like Botterill bringing someone back who's got some history with the franchise or do they go elsewhere or completely anew or even off the radar? I talked about on your show this week about how they're building out their analytics department. So Alex Shaw, who's one of the people who was retained there as assistant GM, I believe he's the person right now is kind of like the point at building out that program. Plus, Jeff, and it's already started in Pittsburgh, the dubits to Pittsburgh rumors are going to be off the chart. I think the, the question here is, does Pittsburgh go with what they've started to compile or do they hire a search firm to do some work with them? Philly, for example, hired two search firms for their president's search, although they are I don't believe they're interviewing anyone else for the GM job. Yeah, see, that was one of my questions too. Uh, some of the people that they would want to look at I would imagine are still under contract with NHL teams. Now, you know, there's a couple of expiring contracts here with managers. You mentioned Kyle Dubas. That story has been well told. Uh, we've talked a lot about Brad Treliving as well. It seems very much that they're looking for someone who has a strong analytics slant mm-hmm. to how they measure the game and how they view the game. So maybe that's the direction uh, we should be looking at here with Fenway Sports. One of the big problems they felt is they didn't do a great job of filling out their roster. Uh, 
That's going to be one of the conversations here around Malkin, Crosby, and Latang. How do, quote unquote, we do a better job of filling out their roster? And also, if they're going to be spending on the infrastructure to put together an analytics group, like I heard there could be several hires there. We'll see what happens. The GM is going to have to be somebody who's got at least a willingness to listen to that. It can't be someone, you're not going to build out a whole group, Jeff, and then mm-hmm have someone there who says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not listening to any of that. And day late dollars short, the Pittsburgh Penguins, their 16 season playoff streak is over. It was not supposed to go this way when the band kept together at the end of last season. Latang, Rust, Malkin, all of it. When they kept the crew together for a few more runs at this thing, this was not how it was supposed to end up. And, you know, one of the things about the Penguins this year, Elliot, is generally everybody in the top six was healthy, specifically Yevgeny Malkin, who played more games in a season than he's played going back to 2009. Anyway, uh, your thoughts on how this all unfolded for the Pittsburgh Penguins? My number one thought is I understand why TNT doesn't hire you to do your their slogans. Mine's good. Mine's good. Their slogan's better than yours. No, 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 no. I'm better than TNT. I think a couple of things here. Number one, I think the biggest thing about the Penguins this year and, and missing the playoffs, and, and you kind of hit on it there, is it's the end of the mystique, right? They had a long playoff streak. As you said, it's over. The idea of Ovechkin and Crosby missing the playoffs, we haven't seen that in a long time. Ovechkin, Crosby, and the Blackhawks missing the playoffs, even though the Chicago's been in a downturn for a while. It's been a long time since we've seen this stuff. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's the end of the mystique. And I don't want to attach it solely to Crosby because it's not really fair and it's not really right. So I'm going to talk about, you know, the Crosby, Latang, Malkin, Penguins. You go back to the Stanley Cup final in 2017 against Nashville. They're the only team I can find who won a Stanley Cup that year without a single defenseman who ever got a Norris Trophy vote. Yeah. Like Latang got hurt and they still beat a really good Nashville team to win the Cup. It was always... Crosby in charge and and Malkin and Latang in general as his lieutenants, there was a mystique there that no matter what happened, if they had a bad game, they would always find a way. And I think that was the thing that shocked everybody was it was in their hands. Their destiny was in their hands. They controlled it. It was Chicago and Columbus, and they didn't do it. And I think for a lot of people, seeing... That triumvirate of players unable to get it done in that moment was a total wow situation. And I think if you're the Penguins, you're sitting back and that's the thing that hits you the hardest is that that's kind of the end of the mystique. Mm -hmm. I hope everybody understands what I'm saying here. I'm not blaming Crosby or anyone else. I'm just saying that now what you realize is the greatness of him and those three is not enough anymore. So that's the number one thing you have to look at is we have to stop taking it for granted that those players are going to be able to drag you everywhere you will need to go. Mm-hmm. You look at the roster for the second year in a row, health and goal clobbered them. They got pushed around a lot. They didn't have enough depth. And, you know, the Jeff, the, the total wild card, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm just saying it's the total wild card. Yep. Do you ever get to a point where you say, you know what, maybe a rebuild is the way? Well, that's interesting because that is flies completely in the face of what was agreed upon last season. And I do wonder about that as well. And I do wonder how frozen the Pittsburgh Penguins are based on what their commitment was last season that would be a complete 180 if they start talking about rebuild and then at what point is quote-unquote everything on the table for Fenway now the Penguins are going to have cap space Mm -hmm. they're going to have some some room to do some things here so I do wonder like you do is this going to be look we've got two more seasons of Sidney Crosby at 8.7 million dollars uh, we're going to you know, swing this thing back. According to Cap Friendly right now, it's $20 million that they have to play with. Do they spin this thing back, double down again, and take a run at it? Or do they say, 
we need to start looking long term. And the thing is, if they start looking long term, do you go to your key players and say, do you want to be part of this? That's the thing that I wonder about, because I, th I think quite rightly you point out in all of this, this is new ownership here. This isn't Mario Lemieux and, you know, Ron Burkle, you know, saying, you know, Malkin's retiring a penguin. Crosby's retiring a penguin. Latang is retiring a penguin. This is a completely different group. Like we've made this point before. The Pittsburgh Penguins now are the first big time professional sports organization in Pittsburgh, not owned by a family. This is a new environment. This is a corporate environment. These are corporate decisions that will be made. Yep. And I do wonder if they spin around and say, we're going to go the rebuild mode. What happens to Crosby and Malkin and Latang? What happens to these players? Boy, you're going to start a dumpster fire here. Well, I am. I mean, I'm just coming shy of saying, you know, do we see uh, Crosby and, and McKinnon do their own, you know, Tim Hortons commercial in Denver? I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, but I think that this could be a summer where a lot of weird things and unexpected things are on the table for the Penguins. I think this, Jeff, the one thing I completely agree with is that this was never supposed to be a rebuild. And it's the same kind of thing that's happening in Washington. Results speak. Like, all of a sudden, you look at what happened and you say, boy, we may have to really reconsider what we're going to do here. Oh, yeah. Another news around the NHL, the Anaheim Ducks announcing on Friday they will not be renewing the contract of Dallas Akins, who had been on the expiring deal. He, uh, They will look now for a new head coach for Anaheim. That was a really, really tough position to be in this year there's a bunch of situations this year where the coaches were in and they knew their teams really didn't have a chance and Akins was in one of those situations you know I really thought that one of the things that Akins was going to be graded on was their young players and how much they progressed like I really like McTavish. I think a lot of people really like yeah. McTavish. He's a talented guy. And I thought he was put in, you know, positions to succeed this year. Zegris, he's a really interesting polarizing guy, but again, I think that he has shown that he's going to be a very good NHLer for a long time. The other thing too I was kind of wondering about here is it's believed that Anaheim is going to bring a coach named Matt McIlvain back from the Austrian League to coach at San Diego in the AHL. And the word is that Verbeek really thinks highly of him and thinks he has a bright future. And some coaches said to me that when you get a guy put like that in the American Hockey League, some people will be careful about taking the job at the NHL level. Like you never know what could happen between now and two years from now is if this does happen, McIlvain gets his experience, but a coach could be automatically going in there looking over his shoulder. And I thought maybe under those circumstances, it would be possible that Akins would stay, continue to develop the young players as McIlvain gained his experience. But obviously Pat Verbeek, you know, disagrees. Akins is an interesting guy to me. If you just look at his record, you'd look at it and say, man, but I think he's a really smart guy. I think there's a good coach there. I really do. The other thing I wonder about, like when we talk about Pittsburgh, you know, Burke, will he be on TV with us next week? I wonder if Akins does television. Hmm. I could see him being a guy who could be very good at it because I think he's somebody who would be very good at explaining to an audience. He's always been a teacher. He's always worked well with young players. Uh, I think this was a really tough situation for Dallas Akins to be in this season. There was a lot that was stripped away from this team. This team was designed, you know, just to help develop players and provide something for Pat Verbeek to move come trade deadline time. We've seen it before. It's one of the classic stories uh, around coaching. This season wasn't the fault of Dallas Akins. I don't know many coaches, Elliot, that could have walked into that situation this year with Anaheim, you know, after losing, you know, Ryan Getzloff and everything that happened last year at trade deadline and uh, walked in there and, and done miracles and somehow got the Anaheim Ducks into the playoffs. I think this is a miserable situation that Dallas Akins found himself in. 
I don't disagree with you. You know, as a coach, you get judged on the the body of of work that you do, and and I get that. That's just the way life goes. But the one thing I do know is that you know when you listen to Verbeek talk last year after he took over the team and kind of said, "Okay, this is where we're going, and this is what our goals were." You know, this year he kind of looked at it as we just want to see improvement in our players. And when you look at the group that's kind of going to be their group for the next couple of years moving forward, I thought those players got better. To me, Aiken's biggest success story there is Troy Terry. I think a couple years ago, you know, people would have looked at Troy Terry and said, what do we have here? And now there's the understanding that this guy is a pretty good offensive player. The other thing that happens here is also don't forget Verbeek is new. He wants his people, and that's just the way it goes sometimes. All right, in this podcast of negativity, yeah. the Calgary Flames are out. Although, although Elliot, if we can shine some sunshine here, uh, Wednesday night we saw Dustin Wolf, real nice performance. Nice to see yep. the family in the stands, Matt Coronado, etc. And Nikita Zadorov enters the Norris chat with his first career hat trick as well. Zadorov who shoots and scores! So it's pretty funny. <laughs> end on a high note, but never thought I'd see Nikita Zadorov with a hat trick in the NHL. But nonetheless, there it was. Unbelievable! Nikita Zadorov completes his hat trick, his first career multi-goal game, and he's got three. And here come the hats. Again, the flame season, not the way it was intended. Uh, when Brad Treliving made all the moves in the offseason, the Johnny Gaudreau story is, is well told, as is the Matthew Kachuk story and the players that came in, uh, whether it's Kaji, whether it's Huberto, whether it's Uyghur, etc. This is not the way it was supposed to go. Yet here we are. First order of business, true or false, the decision on Brad Treliving. I think that is the first order of business. First of all, I, I got to think next year, Wolf's going to be on the roster. Nothing left to prove at the AHL. I know it's only the one game audit, and it's against the San Jose Sharks, with all due respect. But he looked really good, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> you look at the body. Like He's got nothing to do in the, in the AHL anymore. He's probably the MVP of the AHL this year. Yep. So I think you've got to see him on the roster. Yes, I think tree living is the number one thing. I'm curious about the timeline of this. So Brad Tree Living was offered a contract earlier in the season. Like Daryl Sutter was extended right before the year, and we'll get to that in a second. And Brad Tree Living was offered the extension, and he punted. He just said, look, uh, he wanted some time. And this is one of those situations where I've talked about before where sometimes you realize that you just need a change in your life. And I've kind of wondered if that was the case here. If there's in any way, shape, or form, hmm. tree living is feeling, you know, maybe it's just time. So, you know, the exit interviews with a lot of the players were held on Thursday. I don't know what the schedule were them for. And obviously there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Here's kind of where I see it as we record this on Thursday. I think Brad Tree Living has a decision to make. I think the Calgary Flames would like Brad Tree Living to return as GM. I think he was offered an extension earlier in the year. He wasn't sure, and they punted it uh, to the end of this season. Well, now we're here, and you know the Flames need a decision. And you know I think he's got to make a choice. Does he want to stay? And like I said, I think the Flames would love to keep him, or does he think it's time for a change? And that's something that only Brad Tree Living knows. Now, I mentioned, Jeff, on your show on Thursday, I had thought that Don Maloney and Craig Conroy were extended because I think what the Flames kind of wanted was a framework that if Tree Living didn't come back, there wasn't like a power vacuum, that they knew, at least in the short term, who would you know kind of be in charge and running things if decisions had to be made. Now, I did get some pushback on that, but not entirely. So we'll see where that all goes. What about the coach? You know, Sutter, it's a really tough one. You know, he's got a two-year extension. Eric Francis reported the other day, I think it's $4.2 million a year. On the two-year extension, which starts next season, I have no reason to disbelieve Eric. I think he knows exactly what he's talking about. And I don't think this is a situation where the organization just wants to throw away that money. I think what that could come down to is how do the players feel? And 
I think this, there's a bunch of really good players who have a year left on their contracts. You know, up front, it's Toffoli, 30 goals, Lindholm, heck of a player, Backland, a heart and soul player. On defense, it's Tanev. You know how much they love him. Hannafin, who's really developed there, and Zadorov, who had an unbelievable year and incredible finish with the hat trick on the last night. I mean, who bet that? Who bet the Zadorov hat trick and is now retiring from their job? I think it could come down to a lot about what those guys say. How do they feel about the direction of the team? Obviously, too, like Huberto had a really rough year. You have to find a way to make it, you know, work for him. And, you know, the Huberto thing is really interesting. I had heard that when they made Huberto the offer, that one of the things Huberto was weighing was, I haven't played a game here yet. Like, he hadn't really even been in Calgary. They... They went for their steak dinner in Montreal, and they made him the big offer, and, and Huberto took it. It's an expensive dinner. You know, nobody took me out for these kinds of dinners. <laughs> well, I'm you're not getting jealous. You know, are you getting anywhere close to ten point five out of Sportsnet? No, 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 no. no. Uh, uh, but one of the things that was raised to Huberto is, are you really sure? Like, do you really want to do this? And you know, he quite rightly pointed out, how do you turn that down? Yeah. Also, the shock of the deal. We know he was absolutely caught by surprise. And yeah. Imagine all of us put into Huberto's shoes. Like you're you're sitting there, you're 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 having your shrimp cocktail, your oh. your clam chowder, your oh your caprese salad, the branzino or the sea bass or or your your meat, your your steak, whether you prefer the the sirloin or the T-bone or the filet, or maybe he ate just a giant tomahawk right in front of Brad Tree Living. <laughs> and this gets presented to you. Anybody listening to this podcast, put yourself in their in your in their shoes. You're not going to say no to that. But now I think it's incumbent on Huberto and Uyghur and Kadri and every and in addition to Sutter and the organization. Like, if I own the team, I would be getting everyone in a room together and saying, guys, how's this all going to work? Because you can't trade everybody. But at the end, I think you have to make that work. Like, you're not going to light that on fire. You have to find a way to make that work. I think one of the questions is going to be is, are there players who come and say, look, I'm not resigning? At least not now. Mm -hmm. We can talk about it later. But, like, I'm not going to talk about it this summer. Because that also forces you into decisions. Like, sometimes you make decisions because you want to make them. And sometimes you make decisions because the clock dictates you make them. And if a whole bunch of players come in and say, I'm not going to talk about re-signing. Like, I'm going to let it play out. Mm -hmm. And don't forget, after next year, like, a lot of people are expecting a million Maybe if you're lucky a little bit more this summer. Yeah. But next summer, there's going to be a bigger cap. That's where we get the jump, right? Yeah. Like right now, you're looking at it, you're saying all these players are unsigned and the summer they're available, the cap's going to go up. So there's going to be opportunity for them. So number one is tree living. Number two is what do your players say? Do they say, look, I'm, I'm not signing right now. We know Lindholm's talent. We know Backlund's talent. We know what Tanev is. Toffoli had 30 goals. Zadorov, if I play a disciplined system, you'd be selling him at his peak if you wanted to do that. Mm. And so, first of all, yes, 100%, the GM and his decision is your first call. But your next call is what do your players say and what are you doing with that? And, like, you know, Sutter, he's just a grinder. Like, I just can't see it changing at all. Now, the one thing I will say is this. Yes, Sutter grinded on them this year. I have heard some players there have said that, yes, the relationship with Sutter has not been perfect, but I've heard they've also said some guys on their team, and I don't think they're only talking about, like, say, Huberto, have to do a better job of trying to make it work, too. I did hear that some players said like you have to take care of yourself too. Like it can't just be one way. It has to be two ways. Mm -hmm. Although they acknowledged it's a big bridge to fix 
and it's got to be fixed both ways. There's a couple of players. We talked about UFAs after next season. There's a couple of decisions that are on the horizon here for Brad Treliving, or if not Brad Treliving, then whomever else um, is the general manager of the Calgary Flames here. And Milan Lucic is one of those names. You know, Trevor Lewis is one of those names. Troy yep. Stetcher is one of those names. Like, there's some immediate business here, too. Well, Stetcher played really well there. That's why I wanted to make sure that I got Stetcher rings. I thought that he was really good. I agree with you. And you know what? I think the thing about Stetcher is, in a year where the cap's not going up, I can see Stetcher in particular having a lot of value. First of all, he doesn't cause you any problems. B, he plays hard, and it's not a huge deal, right? So I could see they're being interested in stature. You know, I think they'd like to keep him. I'll tell you an interesting thing here. I think in, in Washington, they've always had some Russian players around Ovechkin, just so you know, like he's, you know, it's it's a comfort thing as much as anything else. They, yeah. Now look, Orlov's gone, Samsonov's gone, and I think they will try to do what they can to move Kuznetsov. And all of a sudden, you're going to have, like for Ovechkin, as Washington kinds of goes into its next phase, and we'll talk about them in a couple seconds, I think they're trying to say to Ovechkin, look, like we're going to have to try something a little different here. You may not have this comfort zone. And if you look at one thing with Sutter, you know, for example, he loves Lewis. And he obviously loves Lucic. I think one of the things the Flames might say here is, we're going to take away some of your security blankets. Now, Lewis to me is really interesting in particular because I heard like when it comes to the way Sutter grinds, like a lot of players go to Lewis and say, how do I handle this? And I've heard he's very, very good at that. But I've heard that the Flames may simply say that Sutter's guys, we need to move them. The reason for that, just so our listeners know, is because Lewis was with Sutter in Los Angeles. Right. Um, so there's the, the the background there. The problem is, like, I can look at a lot of these players now that might be, as you mentioned, security blankets for Daryl Sutter. You mentioned Jonathan Huberto's new contract kicking in. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? Mackenzie Wieger's new deal kicks in as well. He bumps up to 6.25 as well. Like, cap space vanished. You have to find ways to make this work. Here's the thing about the Calgary Flames, and I want to move on after this. We had a lot of other teams to get to as well. But I look at the Flames and I say, they're closer to being good than closer to being bad. As one manager once told me, you know, we can talk about our underlying numbers all you want. Uh, Eventually, reality starts and the games start. You are what your record says you are. Um, But you do look at patterns and you look at trends. And I still think they're closer to being good than closer to being bad. One of the problems is uh, they need to figure out, and we mentioned Dustin Wolf earlier, they need to figure out the goaltending. You know, I don't disagree with you. I think... You know, I thought Justin Bourne, he was one of the first to talk about. He wrote a great article earlier this year about even though their underlying numbers were really good, the problem was they didn't get great chances. So, like, that's what I say. When when I'm the owner, I'm pulling them all in and I'm saying, how do we turn our underlying numbers into something positive? And there were too many games this year that gave up the opening goal, like on the opening shot. Like, what was it, like 10 times this year? You, You can't play like that. You chase. You spend too much time chasing. Yeah, absolutely. So I do think that the overall emotion, like someone said to me, too many distractions this year. Too many distractions. So how do you eliminate the distractions? How do you do that? All right. A, uh, a tall order in Alberta. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. One other thing I wanted to mention about that Pittsburgh-Chicago game, there's a story going around that some Islander fan went to the Islanders team store and bought an Islanders jersey and put Mrazik's name and number on it and sent it to Chicago. Oh, my. Like an honorary (laughs) Islander, Peter Mrazik. Well, what did we joke about the other day? John Tavares with the backhander helping his old team. (laughs) Can't boo him anymore. Well, first of all, Islander fans were awesome this week. Yes. Islanders fans were really great this week. And first of all, you guys can do whatever you want to do. Totally. Like if I say you can't boo Tavares anymore, none of these people are going to listen to me anyway. Yeah. But honestly, how can you boo Tavares anymore? Save your season. Uh, Islander fans, take a bow.
Nashville. Uh, I think even they were surprised they were in it as long as they were after what we saw at trade deadline. And that goes, I think, Elliot, a lot to UC Soros. And I think that goes a lot to the kids. By the way, what did you, while we're on the Nashville page, what did you make of them putting out publicly the case for UC Soros and the Vesna Trophy, putting that out on social media, the links to the article? Well, I have no problem with that at all. I think that's what teams are supposed to do is back their guys, right? Mm-hmm. The Sharks did it too with Eric Carlson. This whole thing with the voting, you know the guy, uh, NHL Watcher, who tweets about hockey? Just you know, He's kind of a funny guy. I really like his account. Someone sent me a tweet he sent out from your show on Wednesday where I said, you know, hello Bucks, my guy for the Vesna. And someone said, look at the engagement number. And it was like up over 800,000. And they said, they said, congratulations, Elliot, you're the star of Bruins Internet today. <laughs> and uh, I kind of laughed at it. Like, it's funny. Like, that's what this is that's for. It, it, it's there to make everybody laugh and have a good time. But one thing I'm shocked at is how personally people take like this voting. And I've said that for years. Like, I don't think players lose trophies. I think players win trophies. If Allmark wins the Vesna, Fine with me. I mean, he's had a phenomenal season. I'm just saying that, you know, Hellebach would be my guy. Now, someone actually made a really interesting point to me. They said that they actually felt that Hellebach's, the case I made for Hellebach is more of an MVP case and a Vesna case, which is fine, but he's not winning the MVP. But anyway, like people take these voting way too seriously. They take it way too personally. Just because you're picking one guy over another guy doesn't mean you're slagging or slamming the other guy. There's lots of great players in this league. I have no problem at all with teams standing up for their players and putting out cases for their players. Alex Gilchrist, I've said this before, Alex Gilchrist at Anaheim is the media relations guy. He won Corey Perry, the Hart Trophy, the year that Perry won it. He unleashed a campaign. like He was like Carl Rove, man, running Bush's campaign <laughs> in that one. And he won it. That's what teams are supposed to do. I got no problem with it. Kings kind of did the same with Anse Kopitar. Yeah, they've done it before. With uh, with Selkie Trophy as well. I mean, they had the, the full court press to get on the Selkie Trophy. Anyhow, back to Nashville here. What's the story of this season for the Nashville Predators? Is it UC Saros and everybody else? Is it we need to start playing the kids more? What's a nickname that uh, Tommy Novak has with the Predators? Novetskin. Novetskin. And yeah, and he was, you know, outstanding. They started to, you know, they called up and, and started to play Philip Tomasino. That worked out great. Uh, we talked about Luke Evangelista a number of different times. You know, the guys that are just, you know, text home, hey, I got one more game. Hey, I got one more game. Kiefer Sherwood as well played well. Like, there's a lot of different names that we saw this season for the Nashville Predators. And almost when they, you know, threw up the white flag at trade deadline and said, okay, we surrender and turn this thing over to different players, they started to see some success. Now, is that fool's gold because that's empty calorie time in the schedule? Or is there something for Nashville to build on there? Someone pointed out to me that a person who deserves a lot of credit is Carl Taylor, who's the head coach of the Milwaukee Admirals. When David Poyle, who's of course retiring this year, he always talked about how important Milwaukee was to the success of the Predators, and the end of the season proved it. I don't think it's empty calories, Jeff, because I think what you learn is that your young players can play, and your young players can be drivers on your team. What does this mean for your roster next year? Because it's going to be really difficult to put these young guys back in the box. You have unwrapped this Christmas toy, and it's a hugely popular Christmas toy for your team, a bunch of these guys. Well, when everybody who was injured comes back healthy next year, how are the roles going to change? Like the minutes that some of these guys got this year with those guys out, like are you going to really be able to go backwards and say, well, you know, everybody's healthy again. Let's, in Forsberg's case, you, you do that. But what about everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. The good news is you know you've got guys here who can really play and guys who have bright futures. The interesting thing that makes you say is, what are you doing around them now? Like in Barry Trotz and John Hines's whiteboards in their offices, when everybody's healthy, How does their roster look? Who's in your top six? 
they moved Johansson around last year. They, they cut some of his minutes, and they felt it made him a more effective player. Okay, so now my question becomes, does that happen to anyone else? Like, is anyone else going to kind of be moved around in terms of minutes played or role? Look, Novak was playing 1434. Cody Glass was playing 1442. Parsons, when he was up, he was playing 1425. Tomasino, 1531. Evangelista was 1631. All these guys were their leading scorers after the deadline. See, here, here's the thing that I'm interested about. Like, I, 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 I'm with you. I think that, you know, if the minutes are coming from anywhere, it's going to be some of the higher priced help mm-hmm. on this team, whether it's Ryan Johansson, whether it's, you know, Matt Deshane. Man, goals are so hard. I, I, I'd want to keep, still keep Philip Forsberg on the ice as, as much as possible. Uh, and now he's just a shade over 17 minutes per game. Here's my question here. They have one of the best contracts in hockey in UC Soros. They have two more years of Soros at $5 million. That's a great contract for someone who is consistently in the Vesna conversation. If you're turning this thing over to the kids, though, and if you're looking to go through some type of rebuild with the Predators, where's the value in UC Saros? Is the value keeping him because he no, keeps you keep in him. games? Hang on. Here's, here's what I want to get to. Is the no, value I'm not in- even letting you ask it. It's, <laughs> it's a stupid question. But you know what we all talked about around trade deadline time with UC Saros. And by the way, we should point out one thing. We still don't know what Bill Haslam wants to do with this team. Now, there's a new general manager officially taking over, although Barry Trotz is and has already been there for a while working with David Poyle. There's new ownership coming in. And we talked about new ownership with the Pittsburgh Penguins and Fenway Sports, and that goes back to last season. There's new. There's a new owner coming in with the Nashville Predators, and we still don't know what his plan is for this team. Yeah, I can't see them completely rebuilding. I just don't see it. But number two, if you thought you were going to move him, you were going to move him at the deadline. Someone was going to have to steal him at the deadline. I don't think you can do it anymore. Guy's too good. He's too good. If you're turning the team over to the kids, they need somebody back there who can eliminate their mistakes. Like That's what Saros does is... Those kids make a mistake and it doesn't end up in their net. And they're like, whoa, oh, that yep. was that's good. I guarantee you there's another team out there who's gonna sing to themselves, Man, we thought we could steal Saros. We should have done it at the deadline. I don't even think you're gonna be able to steal them. I think they'd made it very clear if you were gonna ask, come big or don't come at all. But now you're done. You cannot do that. You just can't. Uh, okay, from Nashville, we go to Buffalo. Uh, the Sabres, I'll tell you what, they made it to game 81. Yeah. Remember how we talked at the beginning of the season about, you know, what's the plan for the Buffalo Sabres? Meaningful games and as many of them as possible. No more January flameouts, no more December flameouts. They made it to game 81 before it was over for the Buffalo Sabres. I know it might sting for the fans and the owner and the players and all that. But Elliot, that was a really successful season for the Buffalo Sabres. I know, you know, the drought continues, 12 seasons, no playoffs. I get it. Yeah. But not only are there signs of life with the Buffalo Sabres, but the potential for an excellent team is here as well. I, I agree with that. I mean, Levi, going to be fascinating with him. It really is. You know, what are they going to do in goal? But, you know, the other thing is Levi looks really exciting. Darlene has made the turn into what everybody thought he was going to be. You know, we've talked about power before. He may not win the Rookie of the Year, but I I think he's going to be long-term, potentially the best rookie in in the class. Tage Thompson proved that that was no fluke, and, you know, the Sabres made the the right gamble. Jeff Skinner's found life. And you know the other guy this year, too, is Middlestad. Like, I think that guy on the for a long time, like... I'm not sure, Jeff, there were times they could even give him away. And now he looks like, you know, he really has recovered. So it's an old line. There's two ways to solve your problem. You do it yourself or you trade them out. And the better solution is always to fix it yourself. And one of the things it looks like there is that the Sabres 
are taking some of the guys that maybe weren't in the right trajectory or weren't doing so well, Mm -hmm. and they're fixing the problems themselves. I think next year is going to be fascinating because in in that division, we've gotten too used to the Boston, Tampa, Toronto, Florida triumvirate. Well, Ottawa and Buffalo are coming for them now. They're coming. Uh, And the Detroit Red Wings are on the horizon as well. Um, I think we throw Dylan Cousins into that conversation as well. Cousins Cousins has, and he's been identified and compensated as as one of the key pillars going forward. Listen, I'm with you on, on Devin Levi, and that creates a really interesting situation here because what happens with uh, Ukapeka Lukanen and what happens with Eric Comrie? Like if you're already convinced that Devin Levi is your guy next season, is it a complete new tandem? Or if, if you have Levi, do you not go out and try to look for a veteran net minder to compliment him with? Mm. Because that's not Lukanen and that's not Comrie. Something has to give here if you really believe that Levi is your guy and you've seen enough in six games. Unless you internally have a reason to believe Comrie or Lukanen can't do the job, I think you go Levi and one of the two of them. You would go Levi and Lucan, and even though they're both really young, like, do you not want like Craig Anderson type there with the, with a young netminder? Not necessarily, Jeff, because I think you bet on talent, right? Mm-hmm. That's where I think a goalie coach can handle things. That's where I think a, a veteran teammate can handle things. I bet on talent first and foremost, and the Sabers seem to have a really good handle on goalies, right? Like Levi is for real. Lukanen's a talented guy. You know, they're the ones who took a shot at Craig Anderson when it looked like Craig Anderson was done and it worked out really well for them. Whoever makes their goalie decisions in there says, you can go Levi Lukanen. I'm taking the shot at that. I'm just making sure that I have a good enough situation as a goalie coach or veterans around the team like the Opposos of the world just to make sure it can be handled if it needs to be handled. But I always bet on talent first. I'm with you. The goaltending thing is fascinating with Buffalo. I don't think anybody wants a three-goalie monster. No, you can't have that for a full season. Next season, so there's a decision coming. Uh, If you believe Levi's your guy, Lukanen or Comrie. I think only one stays on the island here if, again, Levi is your guy. You know, you mentioned Kyle Okposo there a couple of seconds ago, and uh, he's on an expiring contract. If I'm throwing a dart at this one, I'm saying he comes back on a short-term deal just because of how they need someone like him around these young players. I got to think that the Sabres want him back. There have been some times over the past couple of years where his voice has been behind the scenes very prominent in a very positive way. Like, for example... Like when they had the team meeting in Dallas a year ago, it was him and Anderson. This year, I think, you know, when they were thinking of sending a goalie down, like Lucan and down when Anderson and Comrie were the team, I think Oposa was one of the guys who went to management and said, we need Lucan and kept here. Like mm. we need the three goalies here. And it worked for them for a while. When you have a player like that, who's obviously got a big voice and he uses it for good and the organization listens to him, I think you always try to find ways. Now, so until I have any reason to believe that Pozo is like wants to go somewhere else or doesn't want to be there and I've got no reason to believe that, I think you find a way. Washington Capitals. I uh, mentioned them a couple of moments ago. What's next for the Caps here this offseason? Like, I still maintain they're going to be one of the most interesting teams this offseason, whether it's uh, what happens behind the bench, whether it uh, what happens with who compliments Ovechkin as he continues to chase down Wayne Gretzky's goal-scoring record. What happens in Washington here? Well, first of all, you know, John Carlson's health really changes the equation. As you know, I've made the joke this year that Carlson could probably win the Norris because we learned how valuable he was when he was out of the lineup. Obviously, there's going to be changes. They, they made some deals. They moved some guys out. You know, I do think they're going to really explore Kuznetsov. Like the one thing I didn't realize is Kuznetsov changed representation this year. He's now a Newport guy. And when you change representation and you still got time left on your contract, that tells you that something's going on, right? So mm-hmm. I would expect them to try to find a way to uh, move Kuznetsov, who's still got two years left on his deal. And the other one I think is going to be interesting is, is going to be Mantha, who hasn't played 
uh, now in in a week and a bit. And, you know, I'm kind of wondering, you know, what's going on there. He's got another year before his UFA. And I almost kind of wondered, like the conspiracy theory guy in me kind of wonders, okay, are they kind of like bubble wrapping him to make sure he gets out of the end of the year? Okay. Laviolette, I think a lot of us thought that there was an extension coming. It kind of cooled off. If there is any kind of rebuild or I don't want to even say rebuild, but if there's a kind of retool here, like one of the things that's happened this year is that like some of their younger players haven't made the jump. And, you know, I will say this, Laviolette is not completely responsible for that. Like some of those players have struggled at Hershey at times this year. So the the question has not only been, is it Laviolette's fault for not using them? I think internally they've kind of asked, are these guys really ready? But eventually they have to be. It's like we talked about with Tree Living before. Like he's been at a place a long time. Does he want to change? Laviolette hasn't been in Washington as long as Tree Living's been in Calgary. But I think one of the equations there is how does Laviolette feel about what the direction of the team and where they might go. So I think that's a two-pronged question. It's how the Capitals feel and how Laviolette feels. Um, But I do think the Capitals are going to try to make some changes. I think Kuznetsov might be one. I think Mantha might be another. And, you know, like I think they just look at this kind of year and say, you know, we have to breathe in some new blood. Strom was a really good piece there. Milano was a really good fit there. They could have moved Jensen. They didn't. They signed him. They could have moved Van Riemsdyk. They didn't. They signed him. They're taking their shot with Sandine. Is it absolutely determined that McMichael has to be on the roster next year? Mm. Do they want Hendricks Lapierre on the roster next year? I think they have a lot of decisions to make, a lot of fascinating decisions to make. The one thing about McClellan is he's not afraid to make them. And I'm really curious to see what they're going to do. I I think the Capitals this summer, I think there's going to be a lot of news out of there. Put it that way. Okay, Elliot, a couple of more teams here before we wrap up the podcast on this on this Friday morning. Uh, and we will get to some of these other teams later, but we would just, you know, unfortunately, we're a little tight for time. So. With the authority of time weighing down on us, uh, your favorite podcasters. Okay, uh, Vancouver and Ottawa. Let's start at the nation's capital and the Ottawa Senators. Uh, decisions here on the horizon for the Sens. Do they start with Alex Debrinkit? You know, Pierre Dorian said this week that he is going to qualify to bring it, who's due a $9 million contract. Merry Christmas. Good deal for him. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't expect Dorian to say anything different, but are you really going into next year without Dabrinkit signed? The only way I think you go into next year without Dabrinkit signed is if new ownership says, man, the torpedoes were going for the playoffs. I can see that if the Remington group is successful here and Ryan Reynolds has two hands on the wheel, you think he's going to come in and say, now we need to tamper expectations here. We need to take a, 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 a long view of the Ottawa senators or does Ryan Reynolds come in and say, yeah, it's rock and roll time. We're getting the playoffs. Yeah. I, it's, it's tough as a new owner to come in and go backwards, right? Remember Terry, listen, it might be the smartest thing. You remember when Terry Pagula bought the Buffalo Sabres and right away it was like, listen, if I, if I want money, I'll, 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 I'll drill more oil wells. We're, we're trying to get good hockey players in here to make the playoffs. And, yep. you know, they signed, you know, Christian Erhoff and they signed Billy Lano, like outrageous deals. It was like, go spend, spend, spend. But the temptation is there. Look, you just buy a new car. You want to get it out on the highway as fast as possible. Look, we've all been around hockey long enough to know it's not an ideal situation if he's not signed to a long-term extension. The thing about the Sanders is they have so many good young players and prospects that they're a team that can afford to move futures. They did it for Chikrin, right? They absolutely did it for Chikrin. Mm -hmm. And that's a team that can do that. They have enough pieces. And again, they're not going to move backwards going to be a fascinating summer for them too. Debrinkit's number one. Number two is what's your goalie tandem? Are you going Solgard forsberg Is that the way it's going to work? Listen, the uh, the interesting thing about the, the Ottawa Senators is they have legit young 
stars yes. and young players that are making an impact. Like Brady Kachuk is a star, full stop. Tim Stutzla is a star, full stop. We saw a lot out of Jake Sanderson this year. That guy is going to be a star, full stop. One of the big questions for me is, and we all cross our fingers, can you get a full season out of Josh Norris? Can you get a healthy Josh Norris? Mm-hmm. That and the, the goalie question is a big one. Health is another huge one for me. Like, look, you look up and down that roster, you see a really good roster. I look at Norris and I look at Chikrin. They're two guys who've been bothered by that a lot. You just want them to stay healthy. In Chikrin's case, it's it's proven to be a very big ask. If you really feel if you can get health with this team, you're probably about as set in any particular way you can be. All right, we'll finish up with the Vancouver Canucks. Here's some good news. Elias Pettersson hits the century mark. Into the slot, right side, Pettersson back to Besser. He scores, and that's point number 100 for Elias Pettersson. Besser tucks it into the net, but then pulls the puck out himself and grabs it. Elias Pettersson has 100 points this season, and the Canucks lead 1-0. And Pettersson gets it in style with a tic-tac-toe play, starting with JT Miller. And I'm guessing that perhaps one of the first jobs, maybe the first job here is new deal for Elias Pettersson. Yes, I would tend to agree with that. You know, Elias Pettersson, he's got two more years until free agency, right? It's not just one, it's two. So the Canucks have time here. I know this, if it's another year deal and who knows what they do, it's going to be a gong show out there. No market worries more about contracts than Vancouver does. Like, look at all the noise with Horvat this year. Mm-hmm. Toronto might be close. Like, I remember when the Marner stuff was up, like, it was relentless. But no market talks more about contracts than the Canucks market does. So the number one reason you want to extend them long-term is because he's a great player. The number two reason you want to extend them long-term is that everybody can be quiet. Like, just, we don't have to hear this anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen, Elliot. <laughs> so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Pedersen, you know, wants to do. Like, he came on the podcast with us, and and he basically said, you know, I, I like it here, and I want to be a Canuck long-term. Well, I love the interview, just like I love the one with Soros because it was on the beach in Florida, and I wish we could conduct more interviews like that. But ultimately, we're going to get to a time where, okay, it's time to prove that. And the first opportunity to prove that is going to be this offseason. You look at Tockett, the players seem to really like playing for him. DiGiuseppe is a guy who's carved out a spot there. That's number one. Joseph is another guy who's carved out a spot there. Tockett likes these guys, and they like playing for him. Hirose looks like a really interesting player. Like, that kid looks like he's a bit of a find. I don't think the owner wants to buy out anyone. So to clear space, they're going to have to get creative. And I still think they're going to look at another center. One of the guys I kind of wonder about this offseason is Ross Colton from Tampa. And, you know, you just look at... Tampa's cap structure and Kalorn's a guy we don't know that they're going to be able to keep him like right now Ross Colton is making 1.125 million and he's 26 years old and he's so he's one year away from unrestricted free agency he's an RFA with Arbrights I'll be interested to see does Tampa make room to keep him or are teams going to be lining up to go get him and it won't be inexpensive, and it's it's not easy for Vancouver or anyone else to do. But that's a guy who I could see being on a few teams. Right, he might actually be a little bit too old for what Vancouver's looking at because they seem to want someone who's a bit younger. But he's the kind of guy who I kind of look at out there and say, like a team looking for a depth center is going to be looking at that kind of a player. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to mention about Vancouver is. I do think there was a time this year where it looked like Demko might get dealt. I think that's off the table now. I think the way he's come back and played, like one thing I should say, Rutherford can do anything. He's not afraid. But I really get the sense that anything that was there about Demko before, that's over now. I think he's staying. 
And you know why he's staying, Jeff? Because his dog needs to go for a three-peat next year. <laughs> That's very good. When Rutherford first took over, we heard a lot of talk about creating flexibility and we need cap space. We need room to maneuver. And that sentiment continues to pop up. Do you think that's still one of the marquee jobs here for Alvin and Rutherford? Create some flexibility, create some room to move. Yes, I, I do. Like, like I said, I, I think the owner doesn't want to do buyouts, so it's going to be a real challenge for them on how to do that. They're going to have to get creative. But yes, I, I, I do think that's going to be a key. Frost to the left point, moving through the high slot. Poke checked away by Chase, and he's got a breakaway in overtime. Down the slot for the win. Dixon shoots. Oh, and it's turned wide by Sandstrom. He just barely got the pad on it. <laughs> Come on. I swear to God, when Jonathan Taves went on that breakaway in overtime, I thought Kyle Davidson was going to jump out of the Blackhawks management booth to make the save on the Chicago captain. That was the wildest thing about this penultimate night of hockey, was watching Columbus get two points, Chicago get one, and Anaheim end up with the best odds for Connor Bedard. So, Elliot, the uh, the update on Gabriel Landeskog of the Colorado Avalanche is not good for the team captain. The knee injury, he will not be available for the playoffs. You know, honestly, Jeff, my first reaction on Landeskog is it's too bad. It's too bad he won't get a chance to play this year. You know, the second thing I think about is just the enormous respect that I have for him that he was able to be a critical part of a Stanley Cup champion a year ago on an injury that would cost him a full season. Sometimes people think athletes shouldn't do this. Like, I don't like to tell other people what to do. I don't like people telling me what to do because I don't like telling other people what to do. We all decide in life what's important to us. And if you've spent your whole life as a hockey player, a guy who's building towards what Gabriel Landeskog's building toward, of course you're going to do what he did last year. And at least on that level, I'm really happy for him that he got to celebrate by winning the cup. I hope he recovers well, and I look forward to seeing him back soon. I don't think anyone's hugely surprised by this. As, as we talked last week and we talked earlier in the week on the podcast, Jeff, you know, there were rumors that he wasn't going to play last year, and I was really careful with my language last week when saying uh, on Hockey Night that he wasn't going to play the rest of the regular season. People said, well, you said when he's going to play in the playoffs, and I thought that was a better choice than if. But there's no question that there were some people who thought that this could happen. It's too bad. All you do is you wish him uh, the best in his recovery. It's a huge swing in the Stanley Cup playoffs, not having Landeskog there. It's hard enough to repeat. It's going to be more challenging for the Avalanche now, although only a fool would count them out. You know, Elliot, earlier this week on the radio show, I had someone tweet me about Jonathan Taves and the Chicago Blackhawks, essentially Taves being the the last man standing from this most recent glory period. And he said, the captain went down with the ship, which is rather appropriate. Thursday night, Jonathan Taves plays his last game in a Blackhawks uniform. Blackhawks are on the ice right now. And Jonathan Taves gets a salute. Now let's send it down to the Blackhawks bench, where Jenna Rose is with Chicago's captain, number 19, Jonathan Taves. Jonathan, the sight of you alone shakes the United Center. How memorable will tonight be scoring your final goal as a Chicago Blackhawk in front of the best fans in the league? Well, I mean, I, I look back on my career and I've been so lucky. It's been a, like a fairy tale and this is just the perfect ending here in Chicago. I, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to say. This is, this is too much. I, I don't deserve this. It's, I've been so lucky to be a part of some great teams with some, some amazing people, some amazing players. And, uh, you know, I want to work hard to get back in the lineup to show the fans my appreciation and 
just the way you guys turned out. You stuck with our team through these last few years that have been tough. Uh, it's, it just shows we got the best fans in the world, and you know it's, it's been worth every sacrifice up, in, up until this point. You know, obviously I thought it was the right way for the Blackhawks to handle it, to announce it in advance so that if anybody wanted to go to the game and cheer for Taves, they would have the opportunity during the day to do it. Number two, I was a little bit surprised that it came up in the sense of it was discussed this week in Seattle and Taves was told that they weren't going to be re-signing him. Like, I think in a lot of ways, the organization had decided that this was going to be the path for probably about a year now. Look, like, I think Patrick Kane would have come back if he could, but I think he saw that that path was closed, and that's why he eventually went to the Rangers. I'm sure Taves felt the same way or kind of was, it was indicated to him it was going to be the same. But I think sometimes that's a reminder that maybe someone says something to you a year ago or last summer and you hope they're going to change their mind or you're like, yeah, things go differently. Plans don't always work. You know, what's my grandmother's line? You plan, God laughs. Maybe Taves hoped that the Blackhawks would change their mind. And finally, last week in Seattle, they reiterated, no, this is going to be the case. I think a lot of people had really thought that that was where this was going to go. Ultimately, maybe you just check for one more time. You know, as for Tay's future, you know, to me, it's A, who's interested, and B, how he feels. I'm not sure he would want to go anywhere. I'm sure there's situations that appeal to him more than others. You know, he's got to see who's out there. You know, but the other thing is, you know, his body has been really hammered by a lot of things. There's the grind of the National Hockey League. You know, he's battled long COVID. He's also battled an autoimmune disease. You know, it's a lie. Anyone who's been through those kinds of things knows what it can take out of you. When he missed time this year around the trade deadline because he was battling something, you know, I heard it really took a lot out of him. It really knocked him out of hockey shape. And there were people who felt at that time he wouldn't even be able to come back this year. So I think it says a lot about Taves' commitment that he was able to get back to where he could play this season because I think he obviously wanted, if this was it, a final chance to say goodbye and everybody gets that on Thursday night. But I, I think internally and around the team, people kind of thought that this was going to be what happened that he was going to play out the year, but like Kane, the Blackhawks weren't going to re-sign them. Yep. You know, just a quick note on Philly, you know, really nice touch on Thursday night, you know, sort of like the inverse lap. Instead of a player getting the solo lap for their first game, Justin Braun is there for his last one, and also his father being able to be on the bench in a really tough season for Philadelphia. I thought that was a really great moment. Uh, emotional. Yeah, it didn't really hit me until uh, Proby scored. You know, that's it. Um, but, yeah, it was an amazing run. Just want to thank uh, my wife and parents and my kids for everything they did for me. You know, throughout my career, helped me out when I was young. You know, my wife being there, being on the road, taking care of the kids, just always there for me, support. Um, and, like, you know, the guys, every guy I played with, it's been an absolute honor. And, um, you know, it's a tough day, but, you know, it was, a, it was a great run. When did you find out about the solo lap and who came up with that? Uh, they just told me before. The yeah, boys were just yelling at me. I said, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to do it. And went out there, and that yeah, was great. You know, those are the memories. You know, I got to have my dad on the bench. What an honor um, that was, you know. He's been there for, there for me my whole career. And uh, to be behind the bench for the last game was awesome. Was that a surprise? Oh, yeah. He didn't know. Torch just told him before that period and yeah it was uh it was awesome that they let him do that and uh you know flyers have been great to me you know i can't thank them enough for you know everything they you know if you need something they're always there for i don't believe philly's going to be interviewing anyone for the gm job like we've all believed that that's daniel briere's job and i think that's the way it's going to be i'm really curious about the president's job you know, one name we're hearing a little bit about is Ray Shiro. I don't think that would surprise anybody. I think it's really interesting in Philadelphia. I think there's there's all the talk about 
you know, moving on and not necessarily be so connected to the past. But what was one of the things the Flyers were really criticized for a couple of years ago was not properly recognizing Ed Snyder. And the other night in their home game, they acknowledged the anniversary of his death. I think that's really important. You know, Shiro has obvious connections to the Flyers. He makes sense as the kind of person you want there to be the buffer between Briere and and the higher levels of ownership and management. You know, I, I just wonder if as this search goes on, we're going to hear his name more and more. Mm, I don't know that there's much to that name in that marketplace with that team. No, nothing comes to mind at all. No, Shiro, Philadelphia. Nope, nope, nothing, nothing really there. Well, you know, Mike Nicolak was the brains behind the Stanley (laughs) Cup teams. (laughs) The fog was the best. Um, Okay, Uh, great note. Taking us out today, uh, an artist from New York City who takes on a classic sound, mixing blues, soul, and a new take on folk. Jonathan Robert Linaberry, stage named The Bones of J.R. Jones, has dropped four full-length albums and five EPs since 2012. He now resides in the Catskills, where he's constantly looking for inspiration. From his latest EP, here's The Bones of J.R. Jones with Undone on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. 